You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. From the newsroom at Eater, I'm Amanda Clute. And I'm Daniel Janine. And this is Eater's Digest, a show about all things food and dining. With a little help from the biggest names in the world of food and the journalists here at Eater, we try to understand what's happening right now in kitchens, restaurants, and dining rooms around the world. Today on the show, we are talking about covering food on the campaign trail. On with, the campaign trail. With photojournalist Gary He. Yeah, Gary's been following politicians for months now as they've been months eating. Months and months, since the summer. As they've been eating food, and he's gotten himself into some pretty interesting circumstances. A lot of stories you can tell through the lens of food, it turns out. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Uh, and then on the show, we are talking about World Central Kitchen. Going to the front lines of coronavirus. Uh, beyond meat, chicken, nuggets. And more. So stay tuned. And uh, one thing, if you like this episode and you like the show, please make sure to send it on to a friend who you think might enjoy and uh, subscribe to us on whatever platform you're using. Give us some shiny stars. And uh, here is Gary Heat. All right, the campaign season is in full swing, so we have Gary He, photojournalist, here in the studio. He has been covering food on the campaign trail for Eater. Welcome, Gary. Hello. Gary, you've been doing all kinds of different political stories for us. You did a day in the life eating with different candidates. You covered the Iowa State Fair. You covered the FEC filings. One of the biggest stories I thought was your coverage of the Mike Bloomberg campaign and the food they've been offering there. So I just want to launch in talking about that story because it's super fascinating. Yeah, so I was just on a date and I went to (laughs) the Shanty, it's like a bar in Williamsburg, Uh and it just so happened to be like a Mike Bloomberg event. It was like an open mic for Mike. Oh my God. Were they really calling it that? Yeah, it's it's called an open mic, but they were like, oh no, it's not a mic, like a microphone. It's like Mike, Mike Bloomberg. Ah. Super cool. So what happened? They were offering, I believe, pizza, and then they were uh, picking up the tab, and they told me that they were doing a uh, Brazilians for Bloomberg event at Beco, which is a Brazilian restaurant down the street, like the following day. And I said, oh, fascinating. I'll come and get some free food. And when I showed up, there were these pictures of, like, caprinhas and uh, plates of uh, cheesy bread and empanadas. And I said, wow, okay, this is not something you normally see at this level with only, like, two dozen people. From the I mean, normally, up. what for comparison's sake, what do you usually see at a small campaign event? Like at best, pizza or right. like some baked good, like mm. cookies that a and volunteer that's, has brought. That's a maybe. Like a mm. lot of campaign events have not much at all, right? Nothing. Yeah, right. nothing. Uh, you go to a lot of these rallies, you'll see nothing um, because you're, you're trying to feed or even provide water to a thousand people or even a couple hundred people, that's a lot of money. And these campaigns are trying to fundraise and fighting for every single dollar that they can. Mm. Yeah, I love this story because it blows out into, when you go to the rallies, you see these huge spreads of sliders and smoked salmon and all this crazy stuff. And it goes along with a narrative of him just spending obscene amounts of money on social media people, on comedians, like you just said, on 
I mean, obviously the internet and TV ads. Uh, what was it like to be at those rallies? Were people engaged, or do you think they were just there for the food? Uh, I think people were engaged because he has spent so much money on advertising so far that mm. it's definitely piqued people's interest. Like when I showed up to uh, these events, uh, no one was actually there for the food. They only found out about it toward the end, and they said, oh, wow, look at these sliders. Mm-hmm. And then, then that's when they started lining up hmm. and really filling themselves up and like really enjoying that portion of it. But I really think his advertising is working. Listen, like no one knows how much uh, clout or visibility like several billion dollars can buy you, right? Because no one's actually tried it at this scale yet. He has so much money. I don't think people really understand how much money uh, like $62 billion is. And it's not like it's all liquid, but it gives him the ability to spend, say, I believe yeah. the last number is like $500 million in the Super Tuesday states so far, which is like unheard of at this. Why do you think people thought that uh, bringing food to these events like was is, is such an such a different way of approaching these kinds of things. I mean, I think I think he's just trying to be classy. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't think his people actually believe that food will draw more because it's, huh. it's not like it's advertised. Like, oh, hey, come and we'll have barbecue sliders. Right. But, but you feel good once you're there. Exactly. You're like in a good mood, eating a brownie. Yeah. Listen to what he's saying. So one of the, one of the uh, voters that I spoke to said, yeah, you're more likely to process the message and like remember <laughs> a <laughs> a positive thought yeah. about a candidate if you're being fed after you've been, I guess, indoctrinated is one way to say <laughs> yeah. it, or spoken to for you know 15 minutes. He didn't even speak for that long. I want to back up and talk about when you first started on this beat. You and our colleague, Megan McCarran, who's our special correspondent, went to the Iowa State Fair. And I don't think you guys had a ton of leads. The goal was just like, let's show up and see what happens. Can you talk about what that experience was like as a photojournalist? But yeah, we just showed up uh, hoping to capture some photos of candidates eating. Um, <laughs> as one does. Yeah, because you know historically, this is that's what they do at the mm-hmm. Iowa State Fair. They just shove a lot of food in their mouths, uh, corn dogs or what have you. And sometimes it's really good for them, and other times it kind of blows up in their mm-hmm. face. The State Fair, everybody's eating, getting their photographs taken. How did you dig in deeper? Well, I think there's, uh, I mean, the state fair is an agricultural event, right? There, you have all these um, animals come in and you have all these food vendors come in. And I think uh, when political reporters go there, they're able to capture that really service level uh, as it pertains to candidates, mm-hmm. but don't really have the time because they're running around chasing these candidates to talk to vendors, right? Or at least a lot of them. Or focused down like all these different types of foods. And so Megan and I were able to spend the week there doing that, which was like super fun, even though it was really hot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Do candidates go into it knowing that um, the like performative eating part of it is an aspect to the state fair? Uh, like, abs- are they like, oh, tomorrow's my eating day? Or is it just- <laughs> well, they're only there for uh, a, a certain block of time because really why they're there is to give like a 15 minute speech on um, a stage set up by the Des Moines Register, which is like the biggest newspaper in Iowa. Uh, but then afterwards, they kind of walk around. It's become this kind of tradition where they kind of pick a food item mm-hmm. and eat and then like maybe play some fair games. Uh, but the candidates are cognizant of the performative aspect of it because you have someone like Pete Buttigieg, who uh, was a not a recognizable name a year ago with this um, communications advisor, Liz Smith, who uh, has kind of placed him everywhere. And so she had him eat as many food items as possible <laughs> yeah. so, as, so as to create this uh, kind of circus uh, or carnival-like 
uh, scenario around him with all these cameras for the longest amount of time. She also had him come alone on a day that where no other candidates were going to mm. show up. Mm-hmm. And so all the cameras would be focused on him just eating his way through the entire state fair. And it huh. worked because we had a story that was like Pete Buttigieg just having the biggest day at the fair and eating all these things and pictures of every single thing that he eats. And then he gets out there more. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, late night starts talking about it and it becomes like kind of a... a uh, a theme for him that mm-hmm. like oh Pete Buttigieg eats food aggressively so they love that kind of <laughs> stuff and they, they understand it it's just that some of these other candidates like uh, a Senator Sanders yeah. right or a Senator Warren they're so well established already they don't need to do that kind of thing to have that name recognition mm-hmm. so you follow Buttigieg around the fair and then that led to you following Buttigieg eating um, across some other stops on his campaign yeah so uh, I stayed in touch with the campaign and they obviously love the coverage they got from uh, that article that we did. Mm-hmm. And so I kept bothering them for months. <laughs> and you, Because, you know, you run out of, like, food angle politics stories. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is your beat. Yeah, exactly. It's like, oh, wait, I'm out of stories to run. Uh, <laughs> but if someone were to agree to let me follow them for, like, 36 hours right. or 48 hours or whatever and document literally everything that's going into their bodies, right. then that could be a fun story. And so eventually... Uh, Buttigieg was the only campaign that agreed to it at first. Because it did so well for him the first time. Yeah. And, and then, he needed the traction. Yeah. Candidates will have this uh, a bus tour where they kind of drive around Iowa and a little bit of New Hampshire uh, sometimes and uh, do a lot of stops. And so that's a really good opportunity to be able to, and there's enough space for everyone to sort of hang, right? Uh, you have all these uh, cable news network embeds, and then you can have someone like me just kind of hang around in the corner waiting for them to eat. And so we did that for about two days uh, as we drove through uh, parts of Iowa that uh, Obama had won twice, mm-hmm. but uh, then Trump won in 2016. And so that was a really important uh, angle for him to attack. And then some of the photos went wide, right? Yeah. I mean, so it's it's kind of funny because they almost kind of set up that moment in the morning because I said, OK, I want every single meal, right? And so... Th- Internally, they were having these conversations like, oh, okay, do we have him eating breakfast in the hotel lobby or in his right. room or whatever? And eventually they decided, oh, no, we're just going to like eat breakfast like on the bus. And right. it's going to be local cinnamon rolls uh, because they want to appear like they're it's in It's so amazing how touch. staged everything is. Like, yeah. okay, if he's eating on the bus, right. he's going to look like he's working really hard. Correct. And cinnamon rolls make yeah. him relatable. Oh, yeah, exactly. And it's by a local brand. Yeah, exactly. But, but you hate that, right? Like, you were, weren't you like, I just want him to do what he was going to do normally. Right, but what can you but do? What, right, of course. Like, how are they, even if he couldn't see how staged it was, it's obviously. Regardless. When someone's following be, you yeah. around with a camera, you're never normal. Right. So you just kind of live with it. Like, anyone who says, like, you know, they got a true authentic view into the life of like a political candidate like yeah, no way no. there's so many handlers right, right, right. making sure that every moment is perfect that it's funny that this happened where he's tearing up he's trying to eat the cinnamon roll yeah and he realizes that there's this uh, white frosting on top that as I, I think optically would appear bad if it was like kind of smeared all over his face so he tears the cinnamon roll apart right. and starts eating it and it looks fine because he's eating it with one hand for a while but then there's a moment where he grabs a piece by both hands and yeah. bites into it as if it's a chicken wing. Right. Or at least it appears so for about a split second. Yeah. <laughs> Which is the frame you got. <laughs> yeah, but it like it looks so aggressive with him biting into it that yeah. we just ran with it. We didn't even know that it was like weird at the time. We just thought, oh yeah, it's another photo of Pete eating aggressively. But it, yeah. it looks very carnal. 
Well, yeah. because the way he eats looks carnal, and yeah. then because it looks like he's eating a chicken wing, it's yeah. just hilarious. Yeah. So, but you got this picture, and at the time when you when you, like you looked through the camera and you saw it, were you like, "Whoa, this one's gonna go nuts"? No, not okay. No, I, I was just trying to make sure we got every single meal because you don't know when they're just gonna kick you off the bus. You're, <laughs> right. you're cycling in and out of these uh, situations. Mm-hmm. You're never really there the entire time when you have like uh, backstage access or right. like right. Uh, deep embedded access. You're kind of just like shuffled in and out of situations that they want you to see. So then what happened with the photo? We we posted the article and so, you know, Pete has like this uh, group of haters <laughs> online. Yeah. And so they, they kind of like uh, grabbed onto that photo and said, oh wow, he looks like uh, a rat. Or right. like a vermin, like eating the cinnamon roll, and other people were saying things like, "Oh, he looks like a serial killer who eats a cinnamon roll like this." Right, and a lot of people and, thought it was a chicken wing. Yeah, yeah, and then that's when they uh, drew that conclusion, and it kind of blew up from there. Right. The other campaign you did was Andrew Yang, and I don't think that had any photo that went viral. But what I loved about that was so the, sad. Was the angle was uh, <laughs> he just snacks all the time. He's a snack monster. Yeah, I feel like that's a, I feel like a lot of the candidates do that, and I, I think Buttigieg does that also, but they kind of just zhuzhed it up for us because they knew that a food publication was there with <laughs> him. Like this my is, heart. yeah, I know. This is not to say that he doesn't eat meals yeah. throughout the day. I just think it's just more efficient. Like when mm-hmm. you are doing four yeah, events a day, eating meals and snacking. Right? Didn't he have this whole array of wild snacks, and then they would go do real stops? <laughs> Yes, but he was eating like Jimmy John's, whereas like I think Buttigieg's people like wanted to avoid him eating like Domino's pizza mm. and like Jimmy John's and Panera. Uh, I mean, Panera is like just the most popular thing. Yeah. Uh, on the campaign trail. Yeah. Uh, so what do I mean now that you've got a sense of it, and maybe you <laughs> haven't captured it on camp? But what what is like a typical day of eating for someone on the campaign campaign trail? Is it really just a lot of Panera? I think it's difficult to order something that's like extremely local and like untested, right? Um, because you don't know if someone's gonna reject a certain cuisine or style of food. But with Panera, it's just like sandwiches, right? right? It's right. Like, that's why Jimmy John's is popular. You're subs, right? And so how how can you say like, oh no, I don't eat subs? Like, of course you eat subs. So for the performative stuff, the the people on on trail are 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 eating local and and trying to seem like they're fitting in. But for the stuff that's not as uh, and they're on the visible, bus eating Panera, <laughs> they're just it's just like chain, chain, chain. They they want they they don't want to take any risks, right? And and I think. Um, Candidates certainly stop in local joints, but I th- yeah. uh, I think they rarely do it without a camera present. Whether yeah. it's, whether it's us yeah. or like um, a squad of like news cameras or even their own photographer, like when they're not just going to the diner for themselves, right? Right. I mean, sometimes they are, right? But um, because I mean, a diner I feel like is different than like trying to eat, say, what Buttigieg did, which was like a Thai joint mm-hmm. in the middle of Iowa. Right, I think that would be rare without uh, a camera there documenting everything that mm-hmm. he was eating. Mm-hmm. I think normally they would just um, eat pizza or something like that. And in fact, one of the reporters, uh, the um, one of the uh, TV uh, cable station embeds said, "Oh wow, we're eating so well. It must be because you're here <laughs> because they, <laughs> they up leveled the food for you." Yeah, for everyone, <laughs> right? Because like, when you're on the bus, they pretty much feed you. You pay yeah. the, the the news networks kind of pay them to right, right, right. Uh, feed the reporters that are with mm-hmm. them. For some of those diner stops, 
Can you talk about the mechanics behind the scenes? Because I know a lot of campaigning involves going to diners, shaking hands, feeling like an everyday person. But there must be a big advance team that goes and figures it out. And there's photo ops. And are they actually eating when they get to the diner? Like, what is that like? I mean, all, all of the above is both yes and no. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you have someone like uh, Clinton or an Obama stopping into diners or anything like that, uh, that's an extra level of like secret service mm-hmm. uh, consideration that you have to uh, think about. But for a normal candidate like a Buttigieg or a Yang or anyone, right, mm-hmm. they, a lot of times they just call in advance like by, for a couple days uh, and kind of brief them on like what they want. And a lot of these places, they kind of, they've kind of know how to deal with presidential candidates, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? They've done, it, they've done it in past cycles, which is why they keep visiting the same places over and over again. Like going to Red Arrow and in Manchester, New Hampshire, is a safe bet because they know how to deal with the likes of a Clinton or Obama or even Trump, right? Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. when Buttigieg shows up, they're like, okay, this is old hat. Right. Um, and so a lot. sometimes a candidate will eat. Um, sometimes a candidate will just, like, shake hands. It all depends on how much time they have in between, mm-hmm. like, the important stops which for them, uh, which is the rallies because right. that's when you uh, touch the most uh, number of voters. Mm-hmm. But you need to do retail Especially in New Hampshire, because it's just like a tradition. That's how like Bill Clinton made his comeback in '92, and so it's like kind of a thing now where you have to go into stores and. You were at Red Arrow, right? Yes. And what was it like before he got there? It was Buttigieg, right? Yeah. It was. And so, what was it like before Buttigieg got there? While he was there, and then in the in the aftermath. I think there's a lot of stress in the restaurant before the candidate shows up because they don't know how it's going to go down or right. if they're going to make any like crazy demands <laughs> yeah. uh, when they show up. Uh, because even though the restaurants are briefed about this sort of stuff beforehand, you know anything can happen. Yeah. Right? Uh, but then once he sat down and started eating and ordered, like everything just is as if it was a completely normal customer. Right. Hmm. And they actually do this interesting thing where they kind of ring this bell like midway through your meal if you're a first timer there. Mm-hmm. And they say, oh, hey, over here, there's like a Red Arrow virgin. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and they bring over some stickers that say that I've been de-virginized at the Red Arrow, which is like right. a fun little tradition that every presidential candidate kind of goes through. Uh, except for Hillary Clinton, because her team said, like, we don't want any sign on her that says she's been de-virginized. <laughs> right. uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's just a fun uh, place. They, I mean, they know what they're doing. Uh, they've obviously done it uh, since uh-huh. Clinton in 92, uh, maybe even before that, but that's as far back as we can trace it. But, like, the people on the line cooking the food, they're the same people who, would, who are doing it before and after, right? And They you, probably don't care, too. Yeah, they don't give a shit. Like, you talked to some of the cooks who were there, right? Yeah, there was one cook who, uh, he's a, a bit older dude who said, yeah, I'd rather be cooking for Trump. Like, who's he? Like, I, I want Trump here again. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because Trump was such a big visit uh, back in uh, 2016 for that uh, diner, even though they get all these visitors. Um, and New Hampshire has like such a huge role in the lore of Trump. Like that's where he won his first primary and uh, uh, on the way to winning the nomination. Like no one thought at the time, even though he was polling really high, that he was actually going to win. Right. It was always a joke until mm-hmm. it wasn't. Yeah, exactly. And so that visit to the Red Arrow is actually like a legendary visit because he mm. also like refused to do retail politics, which is like the visiting of mm-hmm. diners and whatnot. Uh, but no one can resist the Red Arrow, right? <laughs> because it's like such a such an essential visit. Yeah. That even he was like, okay, fine, I'll go and eat like a burger, and they renamed the burger after him. It was still on the menu as yeah, the Trump burger. It's, it's, wow. Yeah, it's called the Trump Tower Burger. It's oh my like God. this. It's got like these two patties. And, like, the buns are grilled cheeses. And there's, like, more cheese in there. And then there is a 
deep fried ball of mac and cheese oh my God. in there. Yeah. Wow. It's, it's a very classic uh, Trump burger. So. It is very funny to think about. Like, I, whenever, if I think about a press visit, you think someone like Buja, like whoever shows up, I always feel like the whole place is going to be so pro that person. Like, we're so happy to have you here. It's really funny to think about, like, the people who deal with this constantly being like, yeah, I don't care. I'm a, I'm a Biden guy or whatever. You know, like, just kind of apathetic eventually about the whole thing. Well, the thing about these visits also is that they, um, we call them OTRs, right? Off the records. And so they're not really announced because then you have a crowd problem, which is why I don't think Bernie does that many of them because he... he, He's like, what's the point? Well, there's just going to be too many people like just banging at the windows trying to like see him. Mm -hmm. And so I think they want to keep these like a little bit more intimate Mm -hmm. so he can have conversations with uh, a couple of voters, obviously within... Mm -hmm earshot of a mic or a camera, mm-hmm. right. but they still want that one-on-one interaction. That's not possible when there's all these people like kind of at the gates. Yeah. I want to go back to the day in the life coverage and the kinds of candidates that said yes and why they would. Because if I'm running for president, I could only see a downside in it unless I really want to seem, I guess, relatable. Like, how do you look at that? Because there's so many risks you're taking having someone photograph you just eating all day. Yeah, you're totally right. Um, which is why Buttigieg, who was just trying to gain any amount of uh, name recognition. Mm-hmm. Just though, ripping in. Yeah. yeah. He, he, he has done more media appearances in, like, obscure... Uh, not that Eater is that obscure, but like yeah. in, in the grand scheme of things, compared to like a New York sure, Times yeah. or whatever, uh, Eater is a smaller publication. And so to allow that level of access to a publication like Eater is like really unheard of. But uh, even just to open yourself up to that vulnerability of like, like people look weird when they eat. Yeah, absolutely. And politicians get made fun of a lot when they do something that the culture decides is wrong. It's a risk that they all take at the Iowa State Fair. Yeah, the women eating the corn dogs because they're phallic. I think women especially have a hard time because they can be so brutally critiqued in social media. So Absolutely. if they well, if, also if, Photoshop is so dangerous. And mm-hmm. Photoshop, of course. Absolutely. And so it's it's the politicians, but also spouses of male politicians yeah. get it. And it's just like vicious out there. And you reached out to to Warren and to Klobuchar, right? Yes. I reached out to every single campaign. <laughs> of course that did. was uh, that was relevant. Yeah. There are uh, these kind of concerns, like with Warren, for example. They eventually did give her, or someone purchased a corn dog for her at the Iowa State Fair, but she only held it in her hand for like the ten minutes she was like walking around. Mm-hmm. She never yeah. bit into it. Never I came that's what close I done. <laughs> to her mouth. Uh, Klobuchar had the easy out because she's from neighboring Minnesota, and so she loves cheese curds, and so cheese curds are just like little right, right, right. balls mm-hmm. that you pop into your yeah. mouth. Mm-hmm. Easy. Um, and then, you know, you had Kristen Gillibrand from New York, and she was eating bacon on a stick, which is, you know, right. yeah. not really that phallic, I would say. <laughs> so there, there are, um, and, and even with Buttigieg, right, there are, um, there were internal concerns about that. And, you know, wow. he never came close to a corn dog. Wow. Yeah. God, it's, it's so annoying that everybody has to think about this stuff. What do you think about, and moving on from that, just the, in general, People making fun of politicians for the little faux pas, like eating the pizza with a fork and the knife. Or, or like recently de with de Blasio, yeah. was he couldn't he was screwing up using the chopsticks. De Blasio so the, screws up everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like just the idea of like, oh, okay, I'm trying to do this appearance. I don't really know how to use chopsticks. Someone had to show him, and then the New York Post has it yeah. as their headline the next day. I'm really pissed off I missed that, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was your beat. I mean he's not a presidential presidential candidate anymore. So So no qualms from you. 
when the tabloids or a media organization is like, look at this dummy I mean, eating it's, in this it, silly it, way. It, uh, eating is like the most relatable thing, right? Like, right? We all eat and we all know how to like eat a corn dog or a slice of pizza uh, the quote unquote proper way, mm-hmm. I guess. I mean, and so when someone sees uh, like the mayor of New York City eating a slice of pizza with a fork and knife or like unable to like eat with chopsticks, mm-hmm. it's like, bro, you've been mayor for what? This is your second term. Yeah. Like there's such right. a huge Asian community here. Like, what are you doing? Like, is this your first time? Right. Like, does that verge on almost disrespectful to your constituents if you can't eat with chopsticks. It's also much harder to be like, ha, de Blasio, what an idiot in what he said about like changing tax restrictions in 2024 or whatever. Like, I know how to use chopsticks. He looks like an idiot. (laughs) Right. Yeah, or like Liz Warren, there was a video of her saying, Oh, I'm gonna go get me a beer and it (laughs) like went crazy. Right. And it's like, oh, just leave her the fuck alone. But I mean to Gary's point, like that I feel like that's the reason why we had this very cool access because Mm -hmm. they knew that doing something very normal, like eating, was something that everyone could uh could attach to. Yeah, it makes them more accessible and they knew they were taking on a risk. Right. And a different candidate just might not I just could never imagine Klobuchar saying yes to it. Yeah. Well, they're already sitting senators, right? Or like a Biden, right? Who's like a mm-hmm. former vice president. I did not expect any of them to say yes to that yeah. because they don't need to take that risk, right? Yeah. Because like it's one thing to have your internal people like filming you, mm-hmm. like getting a beer mm-hmm. or like, you know, eating a pork chop or what have you. But it's another thing to have a guy standing there for 48 hours just like waiting, <laughs> just waiting. to capture anything <laughs> that enters your body. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, does a sitting senator really need to su- uh, subject herself to that kind of thing? Like, no, I don't think so. Hey, Garrett, what was your relationship like with the other photojournalists or the other photographers on the trail? Like, uh, The other photojournalists know that I work on, like, funky stuff. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so they... You know, they let me have my lane, I feel like, because they they easily could have just gotten in the way yeah. in a lot of situations. Because sometimes like for uh, biting food, it's like a split second, right? right? If you're not focused in, like, it's, it's, it's over. Yeah. <laughs> and so they kind of understood uh, stood what I needed, and I got out of their way when they were trying to, like, frame it up with, frame up the candidate with, like, an American flag or, like, a flag of Iowa or whatever. It's like, okay, I do not need this shot, like, so I'm not going to be right. in this pit, like, getting in mm-hmm. the way. Mm-hmm. But, like... You know, when I'm dead center, Bernie Sanders, like, shoving a corn dog in his mouth. Like, give that to me. Like, uh, do not try to move me. And for the most part, they just like, kind of locked elbows with me. And then we mm-hmm. formed a chain walking backwards while Bernie walked through the state fair. And it, it worked so out funny. great. Right? Which is why we have so many photos of that. Right. Um, yeah. So, so for was, aspiring photojournalists who want to get close to candidates, pick something that no one else is, is shooting. Like... I don't know what else there is, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we might have exhausted it. You know? yeah. Thank you so much, Gary, for everything you do and for coming on the show. We will be back with stories after these messages. Amanda, we have reached the time in the show where we talk about our favorite stories of the week. We separate them with the ding noise. It sounds like this. Uh, let's hop right in. Daniel, KFC recently introduced Beyond Fried Chicken. Yeah. Uh, it's the first plant-based meat in the chicken arena, right. which is a very big deal. Yeah. So we have Caleb Pershan, uh, one of our writers on the show, to talk about why this is a great idea and why chicken nuggets are the perfect platform for beyond meat, beyond chicken. Yeah, I think it's 
it's two things really. It's that chicken is huge. Chicken has you know overtaken beef as the number one uh, meat that we eat in this country. Ninety five pounds of it per person per year. Jeez. Um, yeah, a Oof. lot of chicken. And so a lot of people feel not great about that and want to replace the chicken they do eat with you know a plant based meat alternative. That's been successful for for beef um, for. For lots of uh, lots of reasons, and some fast food chains like Burger King have shown you know huge growth with the Impossible Whopper. So it's a big deal also because you know chicken is huge, um, uh, plant based meats are huge. Put mm-hmm. them together in a nugget, it mm-hmm. could be really big for KFC and and uh, Beyond already has a lot of credibility and is in places like um, you know uh, Dunkin' Donuts. Dunkin', yeah. Excuse mm-hmm. me. So why? So what, this was a big bigger splash than you expected it to be based on just the news alone? Um, like the reception of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of, yeah, I mean, I think so. I think that people were more excited uh, about these uh, nuggets, and, and they don't call them <laughs> nuggets, they call them beyond fried chicken, um, than, than maybe I thought they would be, but but it makes an intuitive sense. I mean, yeah. when, if you look at the history of the nugget, which I did for this piece, you realize that McNuggets have always been sort of a sensational, or when they were introduced as a McNugget right. in 1981, they were a huge, huge item. They were, you know, the saving grace of McDonald's, which was trying to get people away from beef, or rather people were not as interested in mm-hmm. burgers mm-hmm. after the first national sort of report uh on health said that uh, that red meat consumption and fat consumption was mm. too much. So I people see. turned to uh, to chicken and McDonald's wanted in. So people really do go wild for nuggets. I mean, look at kids, like everybody enjoys a nugget. I enjoy a mm-hmm. nugget. And so I guess I wasn't totally shocked that people uh, flocked to uh, the stores. Uh, <laughs> yeah. They did were, though, there were lines around the block. They were huge, yeah, they, yeah. they did a smart rollout too, um, and they're still testing this, it hasn't gone nationwide, but KFC does expect to, at some point, with Beyond, uh, mm-hmm. launch these in more markets. So I wouldn't be surprised if it was a very big thing. And like a burger, a chicken nugget is highly processed. Yes, that's definitely a big part of it. I think that like if you're going to replace um, a meat with uh, with a plant-based alternative, which is inherently mm-hmm. in these cases quite processed, it's good to go with something that's highly processed to begin with. So, mm-hmm. like, definitely <laughs> what worked well, I think, for replacing replacing beef with plant-based alternatives were things like White Castle slider, which yeah. is like a mystery meat to begin with. Mm-hmm. So, nuggets definitely fall into that category. It's going to be right. harder to replace like a full cut of chicken. Right. That's a really good point. When you're ordering nuggets, you're not. There's nothing it's about the rest of the flavor. It's yeah. not necessarily the chicken flavor. And there's nothing about like you would it's nothing it's not religious like I need some beef right now. Like I need to sure, reconnect sure, sure. with yeah. nature and fire. It's just like I want a tasty snack. Well, and if anything it's about the crispiness of the skin right. and mm-hmm. the juiciness. It's about whatever else is so and they the dip. can and, make, the dip. and the dip and the spices. So they can manufacture that. Exactly. And KFC said it used all the same spices that it uses for its chicken. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it has those those aspects to it. Right. I remember as a kid I like probably ate chicken nuggets before I ate chicken and uh, enjoyed the chickeny flavor, which is mm-hmm. just a very common flavor. And yeah. also when you think about it, probably easier to reproduce totally. than, yeah. than than beef. And I remember I would get like a piece of like gristle or something in the nugget and it became clear to me that like this was an animal and that's kind of unpleasant. Like I think a lot of people are eating nuggets because it's sort of divorced from the Mm -hmm. animal. I think what is the most maybe surprising about this story is that it, as you're saying, it seems like the logical thing. It's surprising that it didn't happen first. I think that Impossible's rollout and Beyond's rollout made so much, made, made so many headlines 
that we almost forgot that like, oh, it might have been more logical to go chicken ahead of well, time. Well, I think their sure. whole reasoning was that they wanted to make the biggest environmental impact. So right, they started exactly. with beef, even though it was harder. But now we get the rollout of everything else. Yeah, it's yes. all coming. Yeah. But and, and I think, to your point, the animal welfare thing is really important with chickens. It's huge. PETA, who like hates KFC, is so excited about this experiment. <laughs> yeah. They want to get all these nuggets for themselves. So you know, that's a vote of, of confidence. But, uh, Amanda, you're right that the reason that beef was this you know, holy grail of plant-based meat replacement uh, is because eliminating uh, meat from our diet can have a huge effect on right. limiting greenhouse mm-hmm. gases emissions. Beef produces eight times as much uh, greenhouse gas emissions as chicken does. So replacing chicken with plant-based alternatives isn't as pressing an issue from an environmental um, standpoint as replacing beef with plant-based alternatives is. Mm. But I don't know if you guys have ever seen videos of those chicks getting their beaks burned. Yeah. But a lot that, more death. I have it. Yeah, the just death like, is. You know, these chickens don't live good lives. No. So I'm into this. Yeah, they don't. And so I think you can feel really good about biting into a you know plant based nugget and not get a bite of gristle and feel like you're doing something good for. Uh, for chickens and for yourself. I mean, it's not also, I should say, it's not necessarily a healthier product, as you pointed right. out. The crispiness, mm-hmm. the friedness is the attraction to a good nugget, and you do get that with a plant-based nugget. Moral choice, not health choice. For sure. Cool. Thank cool. you, Caleb. Thanks, yeah. Caleb. You're welcome. All right, Amanda, there is a company in Colorado that is working on a product, a beer company and a technology company are working on a product that will uh, hopefully allow you to decide the alcohol percentage of your beer that you get from a restaurant or a, a brewery. What do you mean decide? So you order a beer and then you'll be able to choose between non-alcoholic all the way up to 5%. So what they've developed- uh, the, And it tastes the same? The, they've developed a way to almost perfectly just remove the alcohol from whatever the product is and add it in later. So it huh. splits it. And then you can choose. Wait a minute. Go on. <laughs> How do you pull the alcohol out? Isn't that the whole fermentation The process? fermentation, yeah. No, they can remove the actual like uh, ethanol or whatever it okay. is out of the thing. Okay. So to take this and, and extrapolate, we could have beautiful grand crew wines from whatever uh-huh. processed through the, the some brilliant machine so you have your 1970 vintage of whatever yeah. thing and then it's just like that exact flavor minus the booze yeah it brings up an interesting uh, idea of of choosing alcohol at restaurants right like mm-hmm. the idea of being at a restaurant like let's say we were at a restaurant we okay. weren't having the best time we're like boy we sure need a, a drink I'm, I'm there I'm living it okay yeah <laughs> and they're like oh great what percentage alcohol would you like that glass of wine mm-hmm. and that wine is typically 15 but like if you order 15 or you order seven or you order one percent like you're making it you're having to then choose drunkenness rather than just having the masked order of i would like a glass of wine sure which yes. is very it's weird to say out loud in front of someone right because so much of the way we drink is we're pretending or varying levels of pretending to just enjoy a product. Yeah, but I would say I make calculations like that and so do you all the time when you're out. 100%. And this gives you more choice if this were to exist and if it didn't take away from the flavor because to your point, 
if you're drinking a wine that's 14%, I think the alcohol adds something to it, sure. not just the drunkenness. But I, let's yeah. say it tastes it, 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 everything right. tastes the same. Like I'm going out and I'm often choosing something that wouldn't be my first choice because it's less alcoholic. Ha. So I feel like a cocktail, but I know I have a long night ahead of me. So if I get this Manhattan, it's right. going to wreck me. Right. But I really want a Manhattan, but I can't. I'm going to go for a spritz instead. Or like, I really want this wine, but I'm going to get a Vino Verde because I know it's 9% right. and I can right. survive the rest of the night. Yeah. So if there was a world in which you put whatever think, drink you want, mm-hmm. but I could say like, I actually want this at 9%, that'd be pretty great. You would want a Manhattan at 9% if that was a possibility. I mean, if that was a possibility. But I don't know. I mean, sometimes you want the like stroke that it gives you, but sometimes you just like the flavors. Yeah. Um, Especially with wine. I would love to just drink a lot of wine instead of the amount that I can drink. <laughs> I, I just don't believe it. <laughs> <laughs> wow. We like, I don't believe it. We could have saved this. so much time. No, no, no. I like the I, conversation. I just um, don't believe it will come to be. Come on. What, there's so many things with wine. No, <laughs> they will release some like you know a beer product that mm. I'll probably never have. It doesn't seem like the most technologically advanced like thing in the world. Like I think it seems pretty. It seems within reason of the things that our brilliant I, human minds are capable. Anyway, I don't know. I mean, wine making is such an art. You can't just pour it through a machine and then have the alcohol removed and then it tastes the same. I think what I find what I wanted to get at here was um, if you are a drinker. And we're out for dinner, and you're like, "Oh, I would. I'll try this non-alcoholic thing." Mm-hmm. And I want. I'm less likely to get the alcoholic drink, and I feel like that is a. You're making a statement about the interaction that we're having a little bit, and I. I think. Um, I just think it says it says yes. like we're not Especially fighting the if same you're fight. You're someone who overthinks things. <laughs> <laughs> sure. And feels socially anxious in situations it's interesting that there may be with science more options when you're ordering alcohol at Mm -hmm. a bar and maybe that could be something special like allow you to have the manhattan but for an overthinker like me who's always trying to match and not have the person think that i'm not as much invested in the dinner or i'm way more invested in the dinner and in the world where that's represented by how committed I am to drinking alcohol or not. Yeah, but like if you go out now and you have a beer and I have a Manhattan, does that make me more committed to our hang? So, well... (laughs) If we're both getting one unit of drink? It depends what I know of your the future of your night. Because it could just be saying like, we're both getting a drink. I prefer beer. I prefer... But then you're reading into it, this person is drinking more alcohol than I'm drinking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I always like it when the when I always, it's even. I, it's you want, more, just want it to be even. I'm not saying this is better or worse, but it is. Like if there we're is going less out, to think about it is more yeah. comfortable when both people are drinking the same thing in the same. Quantity. If we're going out, and would you ask like, "Hey, what are you drinking?" and then try to match your order to my order, or do you know going into a bar what you want to drink and you're going to order it no matter what? If it were like a date, mm-hmm. you know, I would probably match. If it were a date, so you would let your date order first. I would and match. Then I would. I guess sure I would be match. like, "What do you feel like drinking?" Uh huh. And then she'd be like, uh, "Pinot Grigio at seven percent adjusted." <laughs> and you're like, "Me too." <laughs> and I'd be like, "That sounds great." <laughs> okay. Okay, Daniel, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. World Central Kitchen, Jose Andres's charity, where they go to natural disasters and other disasters, sometimes yeah. man-made, and cook for people. Right. World Central Kitchen went to 
the quarantined cruise ship yeah. in Japan, the Princess Cruise Line, yeah. to cook for the people on the cruise ship. My question is, do you think that's appropriate? Uh, I mean, I don't know. It's just... I could see a world in which I was on that boat. <laughs> so you're like, yeah, I'd be like, should. Jose is coming. <laughs> like, but no, for, it just ca- seems caveat, like yeah. Jose Andres, obviously a saint. Yeah, gotta love him. Greatest guy ever. Makes great food and has a charity that, that does these nice things. But the Princess Cruise, don't you think it's the company's job to feed these people? Well, so that's the thing, right? They're it's They're a connected technologically. Profit yeah, they should company. be. And, and and I I don't like to think of it as whose job it is, but I think it's more if people were not eating on that boat, then Princess would look awful, you know? Yeah. So it's like there is someone who's worried about them. The problem is with earthquakes in countries that are less, you know, less established or less uh, have inferior infrastructure is that people aren't eating and it's not like princesses to blame it's like there's no there's no, no one who's going to feed there's net. no one who's going to feed them there's so, no yeah. safety net there's no one responsible princess is owned by carnival cruise lines the, which is a for profit yeah. company that makes good profits lots right. of profits i guess if princess because of this went out of business and it just turned into like a ghost ship where no one was running it that just sounds like a horror movie and if there was it just was a, a bunch, ghost ship, yeah. Then a bunch of people. Like, they're stuck and they're going to go hungry. And Corona turns you into a, some kind of angry Sure. Then baboon. send Jose. Yeah. Get him on the case. Right. Jeez, that would be scary. Jeez. Yeah. yeah. It seems like a huge waste. Like, also... Aren't there other disasters they could be you know helping what, though, out at right now? Can I just tell you something? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure this is, again, going to make me sound totally ignorant. But if he's built this infrastructure of people that are meant to do this, and there's not really anything for them to do right now. There's then... infinite things for them to do. <laughs> <laughs> right. And I think, yeah. I don't, want, I, didn't, I don't want to say it, but I will. Like This is where all the media attention is. Well, but then I think, you know, World Central Kitchen needs needs their money. They need to be... In in the, in the press, I understand that. Right, maybe maybe them getting more attention means more money for them, which means more, more things actual they can people do. They, that need the food. But as someone who's donated to them, I'm wondering, like, oh, are you using my money to go feed these rich? No, no, no but didn't you hear people? you get 25 percent off 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 uh, princess? <laughs> That is so interesting. Yeah, I mean, the first thing I thought I want to see I a statement story, from Carnival saying that they will donate a ton of money to mm. World Central Kitchen. Okay, so would it be different if they were just like, oh yeah, we'll pay them for a bit? But it's just so ridiculous. But that's not what the, but then so it's taking ridiculous. the staff away from, Yeah, I know there aren't a ton of, there's no natural, maybe there's no natural disasters, disasters right in the now, news that you're Venezuela. aware of, but there's tons of people who need to be fed. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely countries that are <laughs> there are places, suffering Yes, more. there are disasters. Yeah, I mean, if, especially if they're still like using the water slide and shit on the boat. I don't boat. think they're using, they're not allowed out of their rooms. Or they're they, in their rooms? Yes, they were quarantined in their rooms. Maybe they're in a, a potentially infected and uninfected zones. No, no, no. They're all, they were all in, their, in their rooms. Right. And then they would be shuttled out in One groups. One at a time allowed to use into, the arcade. No, they would get to get some air. Mm-hmm. And then the staff of the ship had to then clean everything. The staff of the ship got the most coronavirus of course terrible anyway terrible yeah do they but do they need do they need jose's help 
no, because there's, I mean, there's they, definitely something I'm overlooking. So I do want someone to write in angry at me and tell me why I'm misreading this. But my it mom seems, is on that cruise. It just seems. Yeah. Like she's not been eating chocolate. The best disaster. Fondue to go for to. 27 days. <laughs> Someone tweeted that they were when they were quarantined. They're like, they're gonna have to pull me off this ship. This food from Jose is so good. <laughs> the thing is, though, relative to the scale of their other operations, it mm-hmm. is not that big an endeavor. Like maybe they just sent a dude. I mean, yeah. It, in terms of sent doing a dude and the Twitter account login sandwiches, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, just wearing, it's like somebody go to Japan and get a couple people to go tweet one about of those this Hawaiian lay necklaces. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't really. Okay. I don't want to throw my hat in this ring. <laughs> I completely agree with you. I think yeah. it's it seems on the surface to be not the best use of their but time there, there when must, so many people are suffering. There and must they be have a smart the backing reason. Of there must be a smart. There must reason. be a smart reason. Yeah. There's. Yeah. I have so much faith in Jose that there's a smart reason. I so. mean, this guy has is is changing the world and feeding people. Basically, out of the goodness of his heart. I mean, a hundred percent. Yeah, he's a hero. Yeah, yeah. He got to Puerto Rico before like CNN. You yeah. Know? Side note: Have you seen the James Bond movie where that guy causes all the natural disasters so he can be the first to cover <laughs> no, them? Don't in the news? Say that. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or thoughts on Jose Andres, please email us at digest at eater Thank you to Gary He, to Caleb Pershan. Thank yeah. you, Daniel. Oh, no problem. Producer, host, ah, editor. Stop. Blushing. Uh, uh, scrambler, really. Scrambler really, really works well under pressure. That is that is actually the key to Daniel Janine. Really? That's oh, my yeah. key? Yeah. If there's like a looming deadline or some emergency, that's when Daniel springs into action. <laughs> How am I with, you know, weeks and weeks to work on a project? Not your strong suit. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, we all have strengths and weaknesses. Just give me deadlines. (laughs) I don't know what to tell you. you Uh, All right. See you next week.